Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Mark Santum. The date was December 23rd, 1972. The place, Three River Stadium in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The event was the AFC Divisional Playoffs, the visiting Oakland Raiders taking on the hometown favorites, Pittsburgh Steelers. With just under 30 seconds remaining in the game, the Steelers are losing seven to six. And they only had a chance for one play left from their own 39-yard line, hoping for some miraculous intervention from on high. Let's just give thanks to that now. <laughs> someone, already, someone said, I know why you're showing that because the Steelers stink this year. You're, you're, you're leaning on the glory days. I'm like, yes, that is correct. You got to do what you got to do. Uh, this play would soon be named the Immaculate Reception. It's a play on words from the Catholic doctrine of the Immaculate Conception. But as you heard, it was initially called the Miracle of Miracles or the Christmas Miracle. Once the Steelers were going to lose that game, but Franco Harris saved the day. And isn't that just the nature of the miraculous? Not just in a game, but more importantly, in life. There Life seems to be going inevitably in one direction. Nothing can change its trajectory. Nothing can change its outcome. But that's where this one particular conjunction comes in. This is a little grammar lesson for you. The beautiful conjunction, but. Sometimes you need a good and. Sometimes you need a good or or yet. But there's nothing like a strategically placed but. See, but is a pivot word. But indicates a change in direction, a trajectory, or even an outcome. But often points to an outside force coming in to a predictable situation, then all of a sudden making it unpredictable, and sometimes even miraculous. So this morning for for my last sermon with y'all, I'm I'm actually not going to do what I love to do, which is just teach the scriptures and tell horrible puns. That'll be sad. But instead, I do want to tell you a variety of stories that the Lord put on my heart. It was really hard to choose. There's so many wonderful stories to tell. We picked a handful of them as the Spirit led. But the, the, the common theme in all of them is they are centered upon the hero of the Scriptures, this man, Jesus. I've, I've actually taken the time, I've actually written out Um, and paraphrase these true stories that I'll read to you. And I'm going to read them to you both in the interest of efficiency and accuracy. My wife reminds me that I have a tendency to exaggerate things sometimes. I don't know why. I mean, when I told her about the time that I returned um, an interception for 180 yards (laughs) in high school, I don't know what got her. Last time I preached on the 57 tribes of Israel, she said, Mark, you just exaggerate stuff, so you better write it down and stick to the script. So I will do that. I, I, I simply this morning want to boast. I just want to boast about this man, Jesus, and to share with you that when we testify of him, we get to use that beautiful conjunction, but, so often and so beautifully. By the way, Steelers owner Art Rooney, who owned the Steelers at the time, he believed in predictability, not miracles. Because when the Immaculate Conception happened, Immaculate Reception happened, you know where he was? He was already in the elevator going down to console his team on the predictable loss. And he missed out on the greatest miracles in Steelers history. So as you hear these stories today, don't be like Art Rooney. 
All right. Once there was a man who led the Latin syndicate, one of the most dangerous gangs in the history of Miami. His name was Rene Martinez. Rene, whose street name was Level, he grew up in a home where the occult was practiced, where his mother would sacrifice animals to Satan on his behalf. And consequently, Level, Rene was perpetually haunted by demons throughout his entire childhood. Rene was involved in more violent, life-threatening situations than he could remember. Instances where bullets would whiz past his head and graze his body. Not to mention the night when a rival gang memory gang member jammed a, jump, jammed a gun into his face. But somehow, for some reason, Rene was still alive. Even after being in prison at the age of 14 for attempted murder, his life was spiraling out of control into despair and darkness without hope. But this man, Jesus, this man, Jesus, visited Rene one night while he was recording gangster music in his garage. Jesus stopped him in his tracks and spoke to him, I have spared you for such a time as this. At the sound of his voice, Rene dropped to his knees in repentance. Today, Rene is a pastor and an MMA fighter, how awesome is that, who visits prisons and detention centers and ministers the power of the gospel to young men trapped in the, ga the gangster lifestyle that once trapped him. Once, as a single man, I was traveling for my job in Denver, Colorado, taking advantage of my loneliness and my anger and my anonymity, I stayed up late one night, feasting my eyes upon some of the darkest, tantalizing movies that I could find on the Holiday Inn pay-per-view. The next morning, which unfortunately for me was a Sunday, I dragged myself to a local church in order to somehow atone for the shame that cloaked me. As I walked into this worship service late, I was sure of one thing, that I was nothing but an unlovable disappointment in the eyes of God. But this man, Jesus, made the most of the lowly condition of my soul. As I sulked with my head down, he sent over an older couple to me. Get this, during the meet and greet. During that meet, that darn meet and greet, the husband looked right at me and said, Son, the Lord sees your darkness and wants you to know that his love for you is unwavering and that you are not a disappointment. With those words, the spirit of Jesus fell upon me. I had tears of gratitude and joy for the rest of the service. I look back and I see the brilliance of Jesus waiting for this moment to tidal wave me with his presence when I had no good deeds to offer him, but rather when I felt that I was most unlovable. To paraphrase Martin Luther, God doesn't love me because of my worth, but I am of worth because God loves me. Once, there was a left-wing lesbian women's studies professor at a secular New York uni university. Some of you know the story. Her name was Rosaria, and she loathed everything she knew about the Christian faith. It's shallow followers, it's bigoted ideology, it's hypocritical nature and repressive judgmental and political ethic. When the men of Promise Keepers came marching into her hometown in 1997, oh, the local newspaper published her blistering attack upon the blinded and misguided followers of this fairy tale religion. But this man, Jesus, 
would not leave Rosaria to be a victim of her own spiritual blindness. So he sent to her a local Presbyterian pastor and his wife who not only shared the gospel of God with her, but their very own lives as well. For the first time in her life, Rosaria experienced love, grace, truth, and empathy and committed herself to investigate this God by investigating his word. Over time, the Holy Spirit overwhelmed Rosaria's intellectual objections through the truth of his word and through the love of this pastor and his wife. A few years later, she stepped foot into the pastor's small church for the very first time. And it was not only full of people that had been praying for her for years, but more importantly, it was filled with the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Rosaria commented about that day later on. She said, Jesus triumphed. I was a broken mess. I heard the voice of God sing a sanguine love song in the middle of my rubble. Today, she is a wife, a mother, and an ever-maturing lover of the Jesus that she once despised. Once, there was a woman who, against, against her better judgment, made plans to sneak off one night and share a bed with a man who was not her husband. Amid the illicit encounter and literally in the throes of passion, certain religious authorities came bursting into the bedroom to stop this act of infidelity. The man pulled her from her bed and dragged her out half-dressed with talk of a Leviticus 20 kind of justice, which was death to the adulterers. As the sun rose over Jerusalem in the morning, this adulterous woman was dragged to the temple courts to, as they say, face the music. There on the hard stone floor she sat, half naked, still in shock, filled with shame and overcome by the fear of judgment, the judgment of death by having large stones hurled at her by men who lived for judgment and were full of death. Ah, but this man, Jesus, Jesus just happened to be teaching in Solomon's porch at the time when this woman dra was dragged in front of him. Jesus saw right through this unjust, spontaneous trial. He looked past the fact this woman, although guilty, was set up and trapped by the Pharisees and the teachers of the law so that they could, in turn, set him up and trap him with his own words. When the calls for death were shouted, Jesus slowly bent over and began writing in the sand on the sandy patio as the weight of the conviction sunk in. Instead of affirming the call for judgment, he gave her accusers the freedom to begin throwing stones with one caveat, that they could do so only if they had no sexual sin in their own lives. These judges dropped their stones one by one, and they walked away. Jesus looked at the woman, past all of her sin and shame, and with a heart eager to forgive, said, woman, there is no one left here to condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Once, there was a man named Mac Holmesy. Perhaps you've heard of him. In 1984, Mac was working in South Lebanon in an area occupied by Israel but dominated by Shiite Muslims. As was and continues to be his custom, Mac looked for opportunities to share the gospel with others, to give away New Testaments or books by Billy Graham, even to men who followed Allah. Some of these young Muslim men were so excited to own a New Testament that they thought it was a good idea to take their, their Bibles back to the local mosque and read them there. Not surprisingly, not everybody in the mosque was happy about this. 
In fact, some devout Muslims were among those who found out that Mac was both the supplier and purveyor of these gospel materials. And acting in, acting in accordance with how infidels should be handled, they decided that Mac should be executed for his religious crimes. In the natural, Mac was as good as dead. But this man, Jesus, Jesus sent a young Muslim man to warn Mac of a plot to take his life, not too dissimilar from the warning that Paul got in Damascus when his life was threatened. Mac thanked the man for committing, Mac thanked the man and committed this concern to prayer. Apparently, Mac needed a more intensive warning. So Jesus woke up Mac at 2.30 a.m. one night and told him, quit your job immediately and get out of town at once. So Mac woke his boss up in the middle of the night and resigned. How many of you would ever love to do that? <laughs> Moments later, he packed up all of his belongings and drove away to his parents' house. Just a few days later, Israel withdrew from the town where Mac was working. The Muslim militants moved in, took over, and several people were executed. And Mac would have likely been one of them, save for the gracious intervention of this man, Jesus. Once, when I was on my way home from college for Thanksgiving dinner, I stopped at a gas station to buy a bag of sourdough pretzels, AKA my contribution to the family feast, right? Someone's got to bring them. When I came back out of the icy parking lot and attempted to start my car, I discovered that my battery was dead. I mean, dead, dead, dead. The kind of dead that when you turn the key, it doesn't, eke, it doesn't even eke out a cough. Total silence, it was flatlined. Now, it wasn't the end of the world. I was only about a half hour from home, so I would have to find someone with jumper cables, turn on my charm, and sweet talk them into giving me a jump. But... This man, Jesus, wanted to show me that even the little things in life matter to him. As I looked for a would-be jumper in the gas station parking lot, I heard the Holy Spirit so loudly and clearly say, put the key into the ignition and start the car. So I got in, I extended my hand and the key toward the ignition. As I did, I began to laugh. I sensed the presence of Jesus so strongly in my little 1985 Mercury Tracer. Sure enough, as I turned the key, the engine fired up like it was brand new. I laughed and I worshiped all the way home, thanking God for demonstrating that the omnipotent God of the universe cared enough about me to get home in time for Thanksgiving dinner. By the way, when I got home, I turned off the car and out of curiosity, I tried to start up again. Dead, dead, <laughs> dead. Hmm. Once, there was a woman named Virginia Proden. She was born in communist Romania under the brutal dictatorship of Nicolae Ceausescu. Like most people that live in these types of totalitarian regimes, that's a mouthful, Virginia knew nothing, knew nothing about the gospel. But deep inside her was this hunger for truth, to know what kind of secrets and stories the Romanian government would imprison, torture, and execute, execute people for talking about. Serving as an attorney, Virginia met one, with one of her clients one day. After the discussion, she commented on her client's astonishing sense of peace and joy in the middle of a very difficult situation that he was going through. So after she said that, he leaned in and whispered to her, so, do you want to go to church? Virginia was, of course, inclined to say no. After all, the communist government was notoriously anti-church. 
Under Ceausescu's rule, Christians were frequently arrested, they were beaten, they were imprisoned, church buildings were bulldozed, they were razed to the ground. But drawn to the possibility of finding peace and joy and truth, she went to this underground church, and there she found the one who is peace and joy and truth. Shortly after that, Virginia was baptized and began to defend Christians in court who were, facing who were facing imprisonment for smuggling Bibles, sharing their faith, and even worshiping in their homes privately. Needless to say, the Romanian secret police did not like this at all. They imprisoned her for a month. They bullied her entire family. They beat her, and they slashed her tires. When Virginia would still not relent, Ceausescu's men decided to put a bullet in her head. She was a dead woman walking. But, but, this man Jesus, he intervened uh, one night when a tall man awaited her in her office. He told her that she had to pay the price for not heeding their warnings. He bluntly informed her, I am here to kill you. Jesus stepped in by easing Virginia's fear and replacing it with peace, replacing it with faith. At that moment, Jesus whispered to her as she stared down the barrel of the gun, share the gospel with him. So she did. As the assassin put his gun back into his holster, he replied, you are right. The people who sent me here are crazy. I do need Jesus, and he promised I will come to your church as a secret brother in Christ, and I will worship your powerful God. As I, as I, as I shared this story uh, afterwards, I realized, too, that if you're not aware, that today is the national day to pray for the persecuted church. So in honor of this story, in honor of the many people that are out there like Virginia, can we just take a moment and pray for them? Bow your heads with me. Gracious Father, on this day when we join uh, with millions of other Christians, Lord, in, in, in places where we still have religious freedom to some extent, Lord, we think of the 245 million Christians that are in those dangerous areas. Lord, we think of the believers that are in places like China, in Egypt, Iran, Iraq, India, North Korea, and Turkey. Lord, where the consequences are high, where they, where they face harassment, being arrested, beaten, blacklisted, tortured, and executed for their faith. So, Lord, we pray right now. We stand with our brothers and sisters and ask that their faith would not fail them. I pray, God, that they would rise up in the face of persecution. And as the enemy of the Lord tries to squash uh, the voice of the gospel, Lord, every time they get tried to squash, they would raise up in 10 times as many places. Lord, I pray that you would protect them, supernaturally protect them, lead them, guide them. May they build an army unto the Lord of strong and committed disciples that will not faint in the day of testing. And Lord, and for those that would suffer the ultimate honor as to die for you as martyrs, Lord, we thank you that their blood is not in vain because your blood was not in vain. And I pray, God, as has been said before, that their blood would be the seed of the church springing to life, uh, churches and gospel-believing believers everywhere around. Lord, we, just, we, we remember them today and uh, ask that you would constantly remind us throughout this day and through this year to pray for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Once there was a man who forgot himself. 
He was at one time an ordinary villager on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, likely with his wife and children. However, due to an unknown chain of events, he would find himself years later walking among tombs, living among the dead. What's more, he crawled and scratched around naked, howling and yelling at the top of his lungs, surviving like a subhuman, like a wild animal. The strong demonic presence that had taken up residence in this man's body seemed to erase any vestiges of dignity and humanity that he had left. This resident evil tormented his soul to the point where he would abuse even cutting his own flesh with sharp rocks. The many demons in this helpless man were so insidious that the people from nearby villages knew that his mere presence put their own well-being in jeopardy. On numerous occasions, they attempted to chain him down to keep him at bay, but to no avail. His demonic strength had a supernatural element to it, so much so that he would, he would literally pull his iron chains apart so that he could continue to roam among the tombs and cast fear into the villagers. This demoniac embodied the very definition of helplessness. He was a quintessential expression of hopelessness. He was considered in many respects already dead, a man who had forgotten himself, chained by evil with no future to speak of. But this man, Jesus, was about to change his reality. You see, Jesus didn't resolve simply to hang out on the other side of the Sea of Galilee where all of the Jews, where all of his friends hanged out. Rather, he journeyed into the Decapolis, to the land of the Gentiles, the land of uncleanness, unclean people, unclean pigs, and an unclean religion. There he intersected with this wild man who was so overcome with evil that he was unable to call out to Jesus. The demons inside of him would do all of the talking for now. Armed with both authority over the demons and compassion for this man, Jesus cast out the demonic horde, and after 2,000 pigs plummeted off a cliff, the man came back to himself and in the presence of a merciful savior and demon vanquisher. Jesus then turned to this man and said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy upon you. Hmm. Once there was a little girl who did not get to experience a simple, happy, carefree childhood that is afforded most little girls. You see, this little girl, along with her sister and her mother, was abandoned by her father when she was just three years old. If that wasn't enough for a recipe for pain, life would get far more painful after her mother got remarried, remarried a year later. As it turns out, her new stepfather was an abuser of children. He was an emotional abuser, he was a physical abuser, and yes, he made a habit out of visiting her bedroom in the middle of the night. Up until the age of 12, this little girl's hope was that she could go through one night without facing such terror. She would often wonder why no one would help her. Why didn't the neighbors call the police when they heard the screaming and the shouting? Why wouldn't her teachers ask her why she was wearing turtleneck sweaters when it was 85 degrees out? In short, she was filled with fear, with shame, with pain, and the hopelessness that accompanies abandonment. But this man, Jesus, Jesus wanted this little, little girl to know that she was not forgotten and that she was not abandoned. To demonstrate this one night, he decided to appear to her outside of her window. She never was taught about Jesus, yet she had no doubts that it was him. 
He didn't say a word to her, but he didn't have to. A single tear streaming down his cheek communicated everything she needed to know, that he saw her pain, that it broke his heart, and that he loved her. Years later, this little girl would find the Lord and get to know his heart more deeply. Now this little girl is all grown up and is a practicing attorney who specializes in advocacy for children. What's more, Carrie L. Bailey received the prestigious Champion for Children Award in the legal field in 2014, an award she has dedicated to the one who once cried outside of her window. Mm. I cried like 10 times reading that (laughs) earlier on. Mm. Once there was a Muslim man living in the Middle East who not surprisingly knew nothing about the word of God or the risen Messiah. Would he be counted among the millions of followers of Muhammad who would give their lives to the deception and the darkness of Islam? Well, it appeared so. But this man, Jesus, this man, Jesus, visited this Muslim man at home one night, appearing to him in brilliant white clothes, This Muslim man could not look directly at him because of the brightness of his wardrobe and of his countenance. Jesus asked this Muslim man to get a notebook out and write down all that he spoke to him. So he did. And this happened almost every night for a month. Later on, this Muslim man shared his story about this heavenly visitor with a Christian missionary. When the missionary asked for permission to see what was written in his notebook, he was astounded to see these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. All things that were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Over the course of this month, this Muslim had transcribed the entire Gospel of John verbatim. According to a study by Missions Frontiers magazine, out of the 600 Muslim converts they had recently spoke to, 25% of them experienced a personal encounter with this man, Jesus, that led directly to their conversion. Once, back in July of 1980, a drunk driver hit our station wagon head-on late one night. My dad, he was hurt badly, left with a steering wheel in his chest and a jaw that could barely speak. The condition of my twin brother, Wayne, was much more dire. Not wearing a seatbelt, his head was thrust off the dashboard and the windshield, his face a bloody mess. After being life flighted at Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh, the doctors gave their new grim verdict as my brother lay there in a coma. If he actually manages to somehow survive, they said, he will have severe brain damage for the rest of his life. My family braced for the inevitable possibility of losing a son, losing a brother at the tender age of 10. You know the next line. But this man, Jesus, decided that he and not the doctors would have the last word on my brother's condition. My mother and some elders of the church, they stayed up all night to pray, interceding to the Lord on my brother's behalf interceding for his life. As the Spirit of God lifted the urgency of this intercession in the morning, the prayer warriors said, Amen. At that moment, my brother woke up from his coma and said, I'm hungry. And for the record, 
The doctor seemed to have lost track of that permanent brain damage. All brain scans were clear. You know what I love about testifying to the greatness of Jesus? That if we were to open this mic, well, maybe a mic like this, this would be more difficult. If we open up this mic to everyone in the sanctuary to share but this man, Jesus, there are moments, we would literally be here for days on end, wouldn't we? Heck, the precautions, they'd take two weeks up alone. <laughs> but we would all be here to bear witness, not just to the past ministry of Jesus, but to the present day ministry of Jesus Christ who is still rolling up his sleeves and working miracles. And to quote the Apostle John uh, from his gospel, look around, Jesus is doing many other things as well all around the world in the lives of his people. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. That being said, I have one more story to share. (sighs) Once a man named Lazarus died and the whole town of Bethany mourned him, especially his sisters. When Jesus arrived, one of Lazarus' sisters, Martha, scolded Jesus and informed him, in case he hadn't known, if you had come sooner, my brother would not have died. Jesus looked at Martha, probably smiling, and said, your brother, he will rise again. Martha retorted, yes, I know he will live again on that great last day of the resurrection. But this man, Jesus, did something beautiful. He did not validate her comment. He did not point her to some magical resurrection day somewhere down the heavenly road of eternity. Instead, he pointed to himself and said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And he asked Martha, do you believe this? Well, that's a primary question for us this morning, isn't it? All of the things that humanity, all the things that we long for, life, truth, peace, forgiveness, justice, love, they are not just ethereal concepts that are just floating out there trying to be caught somehow and analyzed. Rather, they all come together in the person of Jesus Christ. He said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And this man, Jesus, is calling all of us to himself that he may have a relationship with us and complete us and make us whole. I can't stop uh, and help to think about St. Augustine's confession to God as he wrote in the confessions, our hearts are restless, O God, until they find their rest in you. Jerry Maguire tried to, you know, coin that phrase. He told his wife once that you complete me. There's some good truth to that. But we are only truly complete when once we come home to the Father through the person of Jesus. And when that happens, and a lot of you know this and you testified, I see it in your lives. When this happens, Jesus just doesn't become a part of your life. He doesn't become an add-on. He doesn't become a footnote. He doesn't become a, uh, a life raft just in case things really get bad but he becomes our life. Acts 17, it says, in him we live and we move and we have our being. He becomes, this man Jesus becomes a center and measure of everything that you do, every decision that you make. He's the reason that we wake up in the morning. He becomes our all-consuming affection and desire. 
the lover of our soul, and, and, and we don't just come to him, say, Lord, save us from hell, but he comes to us as Lord, and we offer our lives to him in humble surrender and obedience. At the risk of sounding like Captain Obvious, I keep talking about this man, Jesus, but it's obvious that this man is not just a man. If he were only a man like much of this world thinks that he is, then this word but would not come nearly uh, as often in front of his name. Because you know what? Mere men don't work miracles. But because he is fully God, he is able to forgive us of the sins, the very sins that once kept us from him. And he is able to do even more of a bigger miracle to take broken, sinful, selfish people like us and transform us by his word and his spirit and make us a God-glorifying people. And that, my friends, is the stuff of eternal significance. Once we were lost, once we were lost, alienated from heaven, floating dead in our ocean of sin, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, amen? That's my favorite verse, Romans 5.8. If I'm man enough to get a tattoo, I'm gonna get a 5.8 right here in a crown of thorns, and I just will pray to God every day that people will ask me what that 5.8 stands for. I'm like, oh, you opened up Pandora's box, my friend. Let me tell you about this man, Jesus. So as I close today, I ask the same question that Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe this? Do you believe that he is the resurrection life, everything that he said he was? I'm just saying, if you don't know Jesus, if you are currently standing guilty and you know you are of unforgiven sin, or maybe you just need assurance of salvation, maybe you're not sure if you're saved. And let me tell you this, in no uncertain terms, you should know. When you get adopted by a family, you know that you're adopted. It's like, I don't know. You know, and that is the blessing of God by his Holy Spirit. If you never had your but this man Jesus moment, you know now can be that time. We are about to take communion here momentarily. What a great way as we celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus to come up and partake of the bread uh, and the cup as a new believer. And if you do know Jesus, I just invite you, even as uh, we go into communion, to know him more deeply and to make him known more courageously. God is so vast and so eternal. Don't you ever think that you have him figured out or that you think that you know him as well as you should. Remember the apostle John? John, it said John loved Jesus. They were the, they were the closest of, of, of closest of friends. If anyone knew Jesus, it was John. And in Revelation 1, John saw Jesus appear in all of his glory and he said he fell before him as though a dead man. He never saw that side of Jesus before. And there are many sides of Jesus. He's so huge. There's so much, so much deeper to go in Christ. Don't settle for where you are. And remember that many of your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members, they've never had their, but this man Jesus moment. They need an encounter with the risen Savior to know that he is alive and well today. Share him more courageously. Be the bearer of good news and truth and power and most of all, love. Well, growing up, my dad, my dad would pull the kids aside, me and my siblings, and I just love this because he did it very intentionally. He would pull us aside randomly during Steeler games. Well, maybe not during Steeler games. He would pull us aside and say this, look us straight in the eyes and say, if I had only a minute left to live, 
and I only had one thing left to say to you. This is what I would say. The greatest thing in all the world is knowing Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you because I know the resounding amen in here that we, uh, as an Easter people, (laughs) resurrected from the dead, we know the ones that have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We know that the greatest thing in all of the world is knowing you. There's nothing else that compares. Lord, forgive us of our, of our idolatries uh, and our half-hearted uh, passion pursuing. Lord, you, you are everything to us. You are the center and the measure. You're the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So Lord, as we come and prepare our hearts this morning, Uh, to partake of your table. Lord, we remember this man, Jesus, who was so much more than a man, but also fully God. So we just come grateful for the sacrifice of you, Lord. Thank you for all of the collective testimonies in this room that people can say, this was my life, predictable. But this man, Jesus, came in and turned the whole apple cart upside down for his glory. I thank you for the testimonies in here for uh, they have such power uh, to win people over to the loving current day ministry of Jesus Christ. So Lord, come by your Holy Spirit and by your word continually this morning as you are the centerpiece of our time at your table. Thank you for all you've done and all to come in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.